Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, this is actually episode 101. Isn't that insane? Uh, I hope you checked out that uh, interview we did last week. Uh, my fiance Gina interviewed me to talk about uh, the podcast, the fact that it was episode 100, and uh, you know, just looking back at the last decade of my life, uh, it was really fun to do that. But now we're back to movies and kicking it off today. We're talking about Motherless Brooklyn from writer, director, star Edward Norton. Uh, he plays a private detective who has Tourette syndrome, and it's just like a total, like classic throwback noir style film. And uh, it's it's pretty good. It's it's not not perfect by any means, but definitely enjoyed it. And we had a great time talking about it. Me and returning co-host Joe Black. So uh, before we get into that, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together, because let me tell you, we have a lot of episodes on the way. Uh, we've been bumping episodes left and right because of scheduling. Um, but I have so much in the can right now, ready to go up. And uh, it's going up soon. There's going to be a lot of episodes, one after another, at least two a week for the next few weeks, maybe three. Uh, there's going to be a lot coming your way. So make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app of choice. Uh, if you enjoy the show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Five stars would be amazing. We just got our first one-star review. I don't know what that guy's problem is, whoever it was. But uh, they didn't actually leave a review review. They just did the one-star I don't know. Whatever. doesn't matter. But, <laughs> hey, I, you know what? We have like 40-something five stars, a bunch of four stars, a couple three stars, one one and one two. Eh, can't please everybody, right? Uh, but, yeah, we, we would love your review on Apple Podcasts. Or you could review us over on Podchaser, which we are now starting to get set up. Podchaser, if you don't know it, it's like a uh, an IMDb for podcasts, and it's a really cool site. And I'm starting to get everything set up and connecting all the people who have ever been a guest on the show. Uh, definitely check out Podchaser. And, of course, you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all these movies. So, let's get into the conversation about Motherless Brooklyn. All right, Joe Black is back on the show with us. Joe, how's Hello. it going, man? Oh, I'm doing all right, doing all right. Just you and me this time. Yeah, yeah, just the two of us. We're uh, talking about a movie that, uh, I don't know, it, 
it wasn't really on my radar at first. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, Edward Norton wrote and directed a movie that he's starring in? And same, you know, same. Yeah. When I saw the trailer for it, I think it, I saw the trailer for it when I saw Rambo Last Blood, and uh, which was, you know, just a month ago. And I was like, sure. where the hell did this come from? Like, That's exactly what I was thinking. It was like very, very random. Um, and especially given the, uh, you know, the subject matter and, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it as we're talking about the movie going forward, but, uh, it just really seemed like, like, wow. Okay. All right. Um, this could be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm in, I, I, you know, I, I, if you had asked me sometime around, uh, Fight Club or maybe Death to Smoochie or, you know, some oh. Primal Fear and all that stuff. I mean, I, Edward Norton was like my favorite actor for quite a while. And sure. then he kind of disappeared for a little while. He just did a thing here, a thing there, and just kind of, I don't know, he kind of went away. But uh, certainly had my attention when I saw this trailer. Well, he built up that bad reputation for being difficult to work with and all that. Yeah. Um, you know, but... uh uh, I, I, you know, I, I always liked, I mean, I love him in Debt to Smoochie. I also love him in Woody Allen's uh, uh, Everyone Says I Love You, where he gets to do sure. some song and dance stuff. But um, what really, w- the reason I was so caught off by this movie when I saw the trailer was because it looks so big. It looked like a big movie. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and surprisingly, when you see the movie, uh, one positive I can say about the movie is that it is, it's, it's a big movie. Like it, and it, mm-hmm. the period detail is nice and like they put money into this and I don't know, just kind of wash their hands of it. I don't know. Yeah, that that is a good point. I mean, you know, before we get into some puzzle pieces, you know, one other thing, and I mean, just it kind of goes to that point you were just making that it's like a big movie. Um, This is the kind of movie that, I don't know, I want to say 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, would have been a huge, huge, oh, yeah. like, like awards contender. It would be like the big movie, you know? Right. And then Black Dahlia came along and ruined it for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Rightfully so. That movie is awful. I don't know how v- you feel. V- he almost did what he could, but, and, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, like, that's another one where you talk about all the pieces are right. You know what I mean? Your Rose McGowan's, your Hillary Swank's, your Scarlett Johansson's, and Brian De Palma and Beautiful Zygmunt. I mean, it's like, should be the best. And it's just, yeah. from shot one, you're like, oh, this doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, right on. Let, let's uh, let's start jumping into some puzzle pieces for Motherless Brooklyn. What do you got for your first one? Uh, I was gonna start us off with a, a kind of obvious one. I think which was the uh, the Untouchables. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, obviously, other than you know, periodish setting. Um, what I like so much about the Untouchables is that it is about these guys who feel that they are invincible, and then halfway through the movie, when one of them gets you know blown away. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then and then poor Sean Connery with his, you know, always like a walk, bring a knife to a gunfight, you know, and then he gets machine gunned <laughs> down. Um, that's when like the fear kicks in, the paranoia kicks in, you know what I mean? So you 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 then spend the last you know, third of the movie with these two characters in total paranoia of their, you know, of their invincibility. They used to feel invincible. Now they 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 totally feel vulnerable. And that's this whole movie, you know what I mean? Like Edward Norton and and crew bobby cannavale and uh what's his name um ethan uh ethan oh. suple yeah and but then what's what's uh what's the one guy's name mike uh anyways that other guy um yeah the other they, one they yeah. all kind of looked up to him he was like there you know what i mean like he was the man jimmy was the man you know and then sure now that he's now that he's gone it's you know they're they're just totally up shit creek they're yeah <laughs> running around like chickens with their head cut off and, uh, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely great, great piece. And yeah, it, it is a, uh, it, it's a great little crew though. I mean, they all have like their their little their little things, and but but yeah, they don't have anything resembling any kind of a leadership anymore. Right, right, yeah, and and you know the. One of the like one of the problems with the movie is that like all of like the double crosses and the betrayals are so obvious from minute one. You know what I mean? Like the sure. Bobby Cannavale thing. You know, it, it just I I feel like this one lacked the subtlety of characters. It's all caricatures. You know what I mean? Um, which can be fun sometimes, and is in this movie fun sometimes, but other times it's just like oh, you I I wouldn't have minded doing a little bit more of the work. You sure. know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, no, I, I totally, totally understand that. Um, you know, we, we were just talking about the crew. Uh, Ethan Supley, I haven't seen him in anything in forever. Um, they must have stayed buddies from American History X, I guess. I guess so. You know, it's so funny because he lost all that weight for so long. And then in this, it's like it never went away. <laughs> yeah. <it's> like, <laughs> um, but, you know, like he's he's always guy. he's always been solid, though. You know what I mean? He really yeah. has. Like, you go all the way back to, like, mall rats he's brilliant in that and then art school confidential he's so brilliant in that movie sure um, yeah that american Absolutely. history x it's really funny because there's always been that controversy of like did edward norton actually secretly direct the movie and like after watching this movie the answer is a very obvious no <laughs> <laughs> i think he does a fine job sure. here yeah but yeah absolutely flavorless american history x is so good he he has a similar problem that a lot of actors turned directors have which is that they know what a good character is and they know what a good performance is, but they don't really have an eye and ear and a, and a brain for how everything fits together, how you create mm -hmm. a, you know, like a, a, a narrative, you know what I mean? Um, sure. Yeah. It, it's a totally different skill set, and that's not to put down, you know, any actor turned director, or whatever. No, it's just a completely different skill set. And um, some people do it brilliantly. Some people do it decently. Some people do it, Passably, I think this falls somewhere between passively and decently. Sure, sure. Well, uh, I'll go with my first puzzle piece, and uh, it's a pretty recent movie, maybe a little too recent, uh, although maybe it also was on the mind during the, the process of actually finally getting this thing made. I know he's been working on it for many, many years, uh, but it's 2016, I believe 2016's Widows. Um, which, you know, it's like a, you know, a little crime film set in, you know, a different city but you know set in a city a big city and uh it's all happening against the backdrop of a lot of like political unrest and mm -hmm. uh all of the all of the interesting but kind of awful goings on behind the scenes of everything political happening sure yeah, this is actually 2018 it's brand new um was it 2000 was i was trying year. to think about that jeez that yeah. movie feels like forever ago yeah it <laughs> felt like forever watching it and uh i, was, I agree i i much preferred this movie to widows um mm -hmm. honestly Actually, that's that's funny. This and also as we go through, at least one more of my puzzle pieces or something else that I'm like, I like this a lot more, even though I didn't love Motherless Brooklyn. I liked it a lot more than things I'm going to compare it to. Well, you know, like the problem with uh, with Widows is that like it was a guy trying it was what's his name trying that genre for the first time. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Steve McQueen. Yeah. And and he just fell flat on his face. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like like and. um like it's a heist movie where it actually turns out to not even be a heist. It yeah. it actually in the end just turns out to be a stick up. And it, like you spend the first half of the movie with these women talking about if we fuck this up, we're screwed. If we this plan gets we're 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 dead. And it's like, 
You're like, what plan? You don't have a plan. <laughs> you don't even <laughs> know what it is you're plan. supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, the movie was that incompetent. Um, but this one was at least, you know, it, it, it was competent. Um, and I felt like the racial, you know, they're both very specifically racial, uh, racial tension, uh, widows sure. and, and this movie. And I thought that the racial tension in this was played, uh, a lot smarter than it was in widows because even people who like widows, I think across the board, everyone pretty much agrees. The scene where Liam Neeson's kid gets shot is like mm-hmm. so poorly handled, so botched mm-hmm. that even the, you know, the biggest bleeding heart liberals are just like, Oh, they're not with us. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> Who was that actress in this movie? Um, that played the main, uh, uh, girl. uh it, in Motherless Brooklyn, Gugu Mbatha-Ra. Oh, not what? sure if I'm pronouncing her name right. The main, the main <laughs> woman, right? Yeah, yeah. Gugu Mbatha-Ra. Well, uh, <laughs> good for Gugu. She's very, she's 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 really good in this movie. She's very strong without being phony, kind of like Linda yeah. Hamilton in the new Terminator. And she, you know, <laughs> and, um, uh, she, that's an she, interesting comparison and i actually was recording a terminator episode this morning <laughs> oh my condolences <laughs> did you guys yeah. mention the uh cargo short wearing corona and lime drinking football watching lawn chair lounging draper carl the terminator god of course we did <laughs> at least terminator 3 would have had the decency to do all that shit on purpose for laughs like <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> I liked Motherless Brooklyn a lot more than Terminator Six or whatever. I think I, I think I did too. I think I did wow. too. Uh yeah. One other thing uh about the 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 widow's um connection is you know, that political backdrop. Um I, I find it interesting. I, I obviously I haven't read the book or anything that, that this is based on, but I, I did read that he switched the era. Um, and that's kind of interesting because I mean, there's still so much there, uh, to talk about as, right. as far as, as far as the era and just kind of, you know, and then of course can be parallel to shit that's happening now. So, I mean, it just goes to show how much bad shit behind the scenes constantly. That's interesting. I didn't know that. That's an interesting, uh, huh? Yeah. I think it was the fifties, maybe forties or fifties. Oh, okay. Um, so it's not like book. that big a change. No, no. Oh, no, but... okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it wasn't like a medieval story or something. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're saying widows was time changed or mother? No, Brooklyn? mother, mother's right. Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it fits so perfectly in in the you know forties. Or was it in the sixties <laughs> in this? I don't. Know. Yeah, but uh, all right. What do you got for your next one? Okay, this one's a little bit. Um, I could. I, I flipped a coin because I was either going to do history of violence, road to perdition. Um, I needed a three sided coin or Sin City. Um, mm-hmm. because I actually felt like this film, um, was less like a novel or a film and more like a comic book. It like mm-hmm. the character, and I think it's because the characters were so broad while not being cartoonish. You know, we're not talking Dick Tracy here. You know sure. what I mean? But these characters are very like bare bones, nitty gritty. Um, and so is the narrative. You know what I mean? And, and I didn't want to do Sin City because that was a little too cartoony. And, I, mm-hmm. and, and History of Violence, I more so mean the graphic novel than the film. Sure. Um, so I guess Road to Perdition wins in the end because 
that that film too is it's just big broad strokes you know what i mean it's a morality tale it's a it's big you know bold performances the villain is the villain the hero is the hero well the anti-hero you know what i mean um and uh i would think that making a movie like this would be hard to kind of make in the modern day like like make now you know what i mean um and road to perdition i'm sure was a good guide for him a good gauge you know because it's only about 15 years old and sure. uh, it was made with such integrity. I mean, I'm not the biggest, uh, what's his name, fan, uh, fan, Sam Mendes. I'm not a big fan of his, but that movie's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know what's funny? I, I actually, the other ones, of course, but uh, I did not realize Road to Perdition was one of those uh, based on a graphic novel or whatever kind of movies. Yeah, yeah. I'm 90% <laughs> it, sure I've got that right. Yeah, you know, it probably is. You're, you're probably right. I just didn't know that. Um, but yeah, you know, just to kind of just piggyback off of that, I actually did have a combined uh, Sin City and Dick Tracy mm-hmm. <laughs> on my, sure, on my yeah. list. And I, I think that speaks a little bit to uh, Edward Norton's direction. Um, just the fact that at times the movie does start to veer into cartoonish, you right. know, and right. it, he, he definitely kind of course corrects into, you know, the direction of it feeling more real at times. And then it kind of bounces back into a little more cartoonish. And, you know, when it is, though, it definitely has that cartoon feel. It kind of has, I would certainly go a little more in the Sin City, you know, direction than Dick Tracy, but right. I had it on my list as well, though. Well, yeah, you know, he's always been an actor who hasn't been afraid to be like, uh, bold and cartoonish i mean we even talked about you know debt to smoochie even american history x in its own way uh, you know i mean he i mean edward norton for better or worse is one of the fucking hulks you know what i mean so like he's i i do appreciate that about him that he's that he's um not afraid to go there and i mean a lot of that work he does with wes anderson too these are big bold kind of uh choices um but he doesn't really i don't think he knows how to make them gel like those filmmakers do like danny devito or wes anderson you know um, absolutely but uh but he, yeah you know dick tracy like it's he, he, i don't know like that that puzzle piece is better saved for fucking irishman uh, <laughs> like no like it's so i'm funny. seeing it next weekend finally <laughs> it's so funny how many people walk out of that movie and or the my friends who have seen it i see him posting online talking about dick tracy afterward it's like yeah i mean he is just playing fucking big boy caprice up on screen oh boy it's oh man <laughs> I hope you like it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know what? I, I'm going. I, I have three and a half hours set aside. I, Bring a I'm Red go- Bull. Yeah, I'm going to see this damn movie, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> well, what do you have for your uh, next puzzle piece? All right, my next puzzle piece I have is Once Upon a Time in America. All right, the uh, Sergio Leone, Bobby De Niro movie. Um, uh, I actually just saw that movie fairly recently. I saw it a couple months ago. They played it here at the Egyptian. So I got to see the four hour and 10 minute long cut, mm-hmm. uh, on, f- uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty miserable. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen the film, but the main character, I have not. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a period piece. It's about, you know, uh, this boy coming up in, in, uh, in New York, you know, rising to power as a gangster. Um, he and his like street thug buddy, it's him and James Woods. And the movie, the first hour of the movie is brilliant. It's when they're kids. Um, mm-hmm. And then Bobby De Niro goes to prison. And then when he gets out, they're all grownups. And in the time that uh, he's been in prison, James Woods and all his other friends have ascended to power. 
Um, mm-hmm. And De Niro comes out and uh, prison and teams up with them and they kind of run the city together for a while. But then like their backstabbing gets to one another and like um, Robert De Niro has an opium addiction in the mm. film. And um, and I just felt like this movie aesthetically, Mother's Brooklyn aesthetically takes a lot from uh, Once Upon a Time in America, but also just that idea of like a, um, a you know, a lead character with a, a bit of a, a a drug addiction more than, you know, an alcohol thing. And uh, sure. And also somebody who's more part of something than the the actual head of it. Um, so he's always oh, kind of out of his element. And then the film in the end, in Once Upon a Time in America, it actually James Woods, you find out, ascended to power by making political deals, you know, dealing with the helping out the unions and stuff like that. And by the end of the film, he's betraying uh, he's trying to get Robert De Niro to help him pull off this political assassination, um, you know, because he it's so again with that political theme. Why is it that noirs and political thrillers always seem to collide? You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I guess you got big guys in suits with cigars and stuff, so it kind of just fits, you know. <laughs> Sounds like the governor to me. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I you know, I don't know that I would recommend Once Upon a Time in America to you, but uh, you know, I mean, if you're a completist when it comes to Theonia, sure, I liked yeah. Motherless Brooklyn more than Once Upon a Time. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like you're liking this movie more and more as you talk about it. Well, you know, it's just I don't really like noirs very much. I know it's funny because I made one, but I made one because I don't like them. You know what I mean? Right, right. So I wanted to dig in a little bit. To be fair, I think I like Motherless Brooklyn more only because it's half the length. Um, (laughs) There was an intermission during the four hour and 10 minute runtime of Once Upon a Time in America. And I'm not making this up. The intermission came at the two hour and 50 minute mark. Wow. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah, that would definitely be uh necessary at that point, I think. Jesus. Irish um, one too. <laughs> well, I will go with another puzzle piece. Um it's a movie I did not like very much, but uh also written, directed and starring uh someone who made it as like a big uh you know, kind of almost passion project kind of thing. Uh is Live by Night um from ben Ooh. affleck well yeah why'd you gotta do my boy like that oh. <laughs> are you a fan of live by night i forget if we've talked about this hell before. no i uh, yeah <laughs> the biggest ben affleck fan on the planet like it's like a yeah. known fact about me but uh that movie i saw a test screening of it more than a year before it came out and um when they asked for my 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 card at the end you know with the little survey i told him you don't want it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i completely agree i i actually that was one of the biggest bummers i'd say of like the past decade for me yeah, yeah. like it was yeah that movie because he was on such a fucking roll of mm-hmm. just some great 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 stuff and then that movie just ugh. but uh but yeah i mean i'm sure you could tell though you know where i'm coming from with that you know description mm-hmm. of using it as a puzzle piece um and as a matter of fact, now that I think about it, I used it as a puzzle piece when talking about Widows uh, back 2018, <laughs> apparently. So, yeah. I thought you were going to say you used it as a puzzle piece when talking about Terminator. And I was like, really? Yeah, I'd <laughs> like to hear more about that. I want to hear about that one. Yeah. No. Well, when I saw it, it didn't have any, uh, it, it didn't have CGI. So here's the thing. When I saw it at the beginning of the movie, Ben Affleck's supposed to be 19. And I was like, what? Like, so I'm watching the movie. I'm like, why is he? What? And then, it wouldn't like, have made any more sense. Well, and then when he's like walking around in these suits, he was bulked up for Batman. And I was like, he looks like a dumbass in these suits. Like they don't fit him well. They look 
But then apparently I've never seen the final version. Um, mm-hmm. But my buddy was telling me that because he saw both. He saw it with me that night and then he saw it when it came out that apparently they digitally de-aged Ben Affleck at the beginning mm. and that um, and that they actually digitally slimmed him down the entire movie. Wow. I um, didn't even like realize that they had to do that. He, and he, I asked him what they changed between the, what I saw in the final cut. And he said the biggest thing they changed is that they all, all but completely cut out Sienna Miller's part, hmm. um, which that's OK. Um, <laughs> they could have cut the whole movie, if you ask me. Poor God, speak of it like talk about a vanity project. I mean, it, to write and direct, uh, you know, yourself and then to slim yourself down. I mean, obviously they had to because of Batman. Right. But I mean, <laughs> but just, well, just, you, like on paper. Well, you know, and then you've got the whole like like motherless Brooklyn. You have the, uh, you know, the mixed couple, you know, uh, dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember being so like laughably offended by how dumb the ending of Live by Night was. How like she starts out um zoe saldana she starts out in that film is like she's running the business she knows her shit she doesn't put up with anybody's you know bullshit and then as soon as they get married she becomes like just his like servant she becomes i forgot all about that i remember thinking how terrible that was too well and then at the very end when like you know old what's his name cooper comes around and like firing his gun like crazy and fucking pops her in the head and kills her Uh uh-huh and then like ben affleck's voiceover he's like her death was my punishment for my sins. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? How like fucking like insane of you to say, no, she was a person. Like, what are you talking about? Your, her death was your punishment? Fuck you. Like, you, oh you my piece God. of shit. <laughs> I almost feel bad for bringing the movie up right now. <laughs> it's um, so poor Ben. Bad. It was going to catch up with him eventually because he's another one of those directors, you know, actors turned director who... I wouldn't put him in the category of great. No offense to him. I love him to death. I would put him in the category of good. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and I feel like even Argo, I feel like he was doing a good run of just making movies. He wasn't mm-hmm. making films. He was making movies, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think Live by Night was his going like, now I make films. And we go, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Stick with the town, bub. <laughs> well, uh, what do you got next? Okay, uh, this one, I don't know if it, it's, uh, it's called Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a uh, Robert Altman film from the 90s with uh, uh, Dermot Mulrooney and uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Um, it's an it's a absolutely brilliant film. Have you heard of it? I have not, no. It, it's a noir, and it's about a... Um, it's a uh, Harry Belafonte is like this uh, black gangster. It's Prohibition era, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he, Dermot Mulrooney works for him. He's like an underling, but he like knows like he wants to rob him. Basically, he wants to rob his boss. So he and his buddy put on blackface and rob oh, wow. his boss's car. But like the like, of course, Harry Belafonte figures it out and they kidnap they kidnap Dermot Mulrooney after he stashed the money and. uh and uh, they're holding him hostage, and Jennifer Jason Lee has to like repay the money that was stolen by, um, by helping them get a politician to like drop out of a race that they don't want to win. So she kidnaps like the politician's wife, and is like hiding out with her. Um, but really, they're just going to kill Dermot Mulroney anyway, and you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so it, it reminded me. I mean, other than the obvious, you know, noir set during that kind of era, blah blah blah. But like the idea of like 
you know, hiding out somebody from a politician, using it as leverage to get them to, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and it, in the whole movie, I forget the whole movie takes place on election day. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole movie and like Steve Buscemi actually is like a, he's like rallying people together to get them to like vote. And like, he's having people like vote five or six times, you know what I mean? Like that old chestnut. Um, this actually sounds like a pretty awesome movie. It's phenomenal. It's, 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 and it's one of, you know, Altman had such a checkered career and like, Mm -hmm. but he actually has a couple of hidden gems, like movies that are still just, I mean, you know, for every, for every, you know, mash and the player and the long goodbye, there's, there's little hidden movies, you know what I mean? Like Kansas city, like, especially in his later career, like cookies, fortune and, um, Mm -hmm. uh, the company, but Kansas city is, is a big movie. I mean, it flopped hard, but it was a big movie, big cast, big, uh, you know, great period detail, epic scope. You know what I mean? Like they, and, um, and just kind of got dumped because it wasn't tightly packaged in a neat little bow, I guess. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, he can get way too loosey-goosey, Robert Altman, you know what I mean? But, like, this one's pretty tight for him. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of wish that Norton, I mean, I guess I can't, you know, it's hard being a first-time director in any capacity, but, you know, in his case, like, you almost want him to, like, be less afraid. Like, there mm. is no personality to this movie. It's a big noir, but it doesn't have a lot of personality. I mean... The personality it has is that fucking what's his name the Radiohead guy song, which just <laughs> yeah. it being the one song in the movie that's anachronistic just doesn't just doesn't work. Yeah, it's, um, it was it was a strange choice to have Tom York do music for this. Yeah, you just want him to like lean into it more, you know. Yeah, I'm Absolutely. sorry that I'm bringing up puzzle pieces for movies you haven't seen, so we can't bounce. But I'm <laughs> I'm glad to be recommending Kansas City to you. It's very good if you can. Yeah. Find it. I might have to uh, I might have to hunt that down. Um, all right, well, uh, I have one more puzzle piece. And speaking of Steve Buscemi, it is the series Boardwalk Empire, mm. um, which I think also a, a lot like Widows and a lot kind of like Live by Night as well. Um, you know, it's just like this, you know, crime drama. You know, set against all, all the you know political stuff happening within that particular era that it's set. And uh, I, I also think you know. The, a lot of Scorsese influence all over, um, all over this directorial debut. Yeah. I've actually, um, see you repaid me because I've never seen boardwalk empire. Um, Oh, okay. And I want to, cause I love the cast. I love Shea Wiggum. Um, Oh yeah. He's yeah. Great. Like it, it, that's been on my radar for a minute. It just, it's hard for me to get into period pieces. Like, it's hard for me to get into noirs and gangster movies just in general. Cause I'm just so disinterested yeah. in that kind of thing. You know, it's funny, I was, just uh, as a total aside, I was just randomly thinking about this the other day, Um, how much nicer it was when we were all waiting week after week for a new episode of Boardwalk Empire. I feel like as soon as that show ended, everything just kind of went to shit. Well, that, I mean, that brings up a whole thing that I have with television these days, or what we call television these days, because let's face it, Uh half of it's online anyway, but... um. There is a kind of lost art form to the rhythm of waiting. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. So I remember when I watched um when I got married, um my wife had never seen uh The Office. And mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, yeah, we got to watch it, you know." And um and we watched it and we we binge-watched it as the kids say and 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 um when you watch The Office just episode after episode and you watch all 9 seasons in a month, 
all the characters just seem like assholes. They yeah, seem sure. like Jim seems like a piece of shit. They see, and it's because we haven't, without the time in between both episodes and seasons, the weight, the gravity of their longing, of their of their desires, of their efforts, like that, it doesn't play. You know sure. what I mean? And they just seem needy and whiny. And like, there's a really good song. Um, oh my god, I can't remember what it's called. Oh no, there's a really good song specifically about The Office where it's like this guy singing about how like he grew up with that show. And like it starts with him even saying like uh like a I had my first crush in season 2. You know, like like and then he talks about like his grandpa died in season 6, the one where Michael blah blah blah. You know what I mean? And like yeah. That 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 feeling that we have like you know Shows now like Stranger Things, it's like it comes out and you know everybody watches ten episodes in two days, and it was so it's a sensation, but it's yeah. not that thing that sits with us, that, you know. And uh, absolutely, oh, sorry to go off on the. You just you just stirred that up in me. That's um, I I I think it's I completely agree. I've had conversations about that with friends uh, in person many times. I mean, it it really was. Uh, it, I mean, that's kind of the big difference with TV and movies, really, when it comes down to it, is that you, you know, you get that, that breathing room and, you know, get to get to grow with it. And they've taken that away, of course. Well, even but I mean, I feel like I feel like it's just something that like the industry's got to figure out. There are some people who have figured it out, like mm -hmm. um, like the Righteous Gemstones, you oh, know what I mean? Or like Jody Hill it. and those guys like they they design it from minute one. You know what I mean? Like knowing it'll be episodic or knowing it'll be two seasons or knowing that it'll be, you know, there are some people who do it, you know, on purpose who, who are actually, but I feel like too many people aren't thinking about it. Like I'm sure that if sure. Boardwalk Empire was made the exact same way, but released, you know, like Netflix releases their shows, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have that same resonance. Right. You right. know, cause it was designed to be week to week. And, um, it's almost, that's almost becoming a dead art form. You know what I mean? Uh, kind of is episodic television in a way. It's like, yeah. Uh, but you know, I never liked TV to begin with, so you know, fuck it. I, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. Except, except Righteous Gemstones. Oh my god, <laughs> the Righteous best. Gemstones is the uh, is the Twin Peaks season three of 2019. Like it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like as much as I've loved some of the movies that have come out this year, I don't think they hold a candle to how much I just love the Righteous Gemstones. Uh, I'm with you 100. Yeah. <laughs> percent well, do you have any uh, other puzzle pieces? I mean, I have a slight one, but it was kind of, it's this weird one that only I would say it this way. And I mean that I think is a negative, <laughs> which is <laughs> negatively. It reminded me of Kill Bill volume one, which I also don't like in that the little um, genre flourishes that it has um, mm -hmm. seem completely without purpose other than that's what you do in a genre movie. So mm -hmm. like, well, the thing that I specifically think of is in the first Kill Bill, if you remember, uh, well, volume one, excuse me, because it's one in volume sure. one of Kill Bill, they hide Bill's face, right? Mm -hmm. And honestly, you're just like, why? Like, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Like, who gives yeah, a shit what yeah, Bill it's looks like, like, what was the reason? Right. Yeah. Like, it's not like some big reveal that it turned out to be some other character. It's not like it's some actor we don't know. It's It's just like. Oh, that's just how they made those movies, and you're doing it too. I felt the same thing with um, with Alec Baldwin in this movie. How they spend the first twenty minutes of the movie hiding his face. Yeah, that was kind of a strange choice. Like it was like, it was a thing that 
it would make sense if this was part of a larger thing, but it's just it's just a movie, and it's, it's not like some guy that we are like that's being hidden from us for any given reason. Right. It's not like a big reveal. Like once he finally reveals himself, you're like, oh, I, I, okay. Like, you know, like, you usually would do that to, like, reveal a twist or, like... Sure. Or, or like, I don't know, like, like it's to subvert some kind of expectation, you know what I mean? Or yeah. to create a sense of menace or to create... A, but you're, there is no menace when you're like, I don't know who this character is. I don't know what he's doing. I don't give a shit. Oh, it's Alec Baldwin. Okay. Yeah, um, I've seen him before. Yeah, yeah, I have. <laughs> Blue Jasmine, right? That was him. Um, yeah, I, yeah. And, but again, uh, you know, I feel bad but like what the fuck i feel bad uh edward norton i'm I'm, I'm to say i feel bad for edward norton because he tried but like he just doesn't know what he's doing and not to Mm -hmm. say that he couldn't figure it out but the scariest thing in the world to do that i think a lot of people don't understand when they haven't made a movie or done it is that the scariest thing to do as a filmmaker is to learn in front of them Mm. it's actually really scary like because you're going to get criticized when really like any art form it's a process you know, yeah. and um, Kevin Smith was a victim of this, too, where like he just fell flat on his face the second time around because he didn't know what he was doing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Edward Norton, as much as I'm sure he wants to be, a, you know, a filmmaker in some ways because he wants to have control over production. I think that he just kind of, you know, put the cart before the horse mm. and. um you know, I've made 14 features and like everybody asks me, oh, how many have you sold? It's like, well, none. And I haven't even tried. The, in fact, the only one of my movies I've tried to put in a film festival, we just did to see, you know, if it played at all. We weren't trying to, quote unquote, get into festivals. You know what I mean? Sure. And it's because I didn't want to learn in front of people. You know, I felt like if I'm going to be a filmmaker, I want to earn my place. You know what I mean? I want to be worth people's time and money. And I mean, the people giving me the money to make it and the people spending their money to see it. So. Mm-hmm. I wanted to figure out how to be a filmmaker, not only what kind of stories I want to tell, but why do I want to tell those kinds of stories? How do you tell those kinds of stories? And then how do you create an environment where you can manage and coordinate people to help you create it? You know what I mean? And uh, sure, it's tough. And, uh, you know, so good for Edward Norton for trying, but I think he very obviously got in over his head and was interested only in particular things. And it created a mediocre movie. And I don't know that this movie ever had the potential to be amazing because it is so derivative of other things. I mean, funny enough, neither one of us mentioned Chinatown, which this is totally derivative of. You know what I mean? But, but, you know, I don't know. That, that's all filmmakers these days, not just Edward Norton. They all just want to be Spielberg right out of the gate, you know. Or Scorsese. No, nobody wants to be Scorsese because he's too good. <laughs> no, I'm serious, because he's too good. Like yeah, that, I, that, I guess that's true. Yeah, that responsibility is scary because he's not sitting here making feel-good family movies like Spielberg. He's he's his, his shit's dark. Yeah, you know, and always has been. Even Alice doesn't live here anymore. I mean, that it's coming from a dark mind. You know, he's he's one of he's one of a kind. Really is. Sure. Um, yeah, as absolutely. much as I did not like The Irishman at all, <laughs> which I will see this weekend, and we'll see what I think. Did you like um, Silence? <laughs> I did like Silence, yeah. Now we're talking. All right, cool. Yeah, I love Silence. Nice try, Edward uh, Norton. <laughs> well, I'm going to do the finished puzzle, and then we'll get into any closing thoughts we had about Motherless Brooklyn. Uh, finished puzzle includes The Untouchables, Widows, Road to Perdition, Dick Tracy, Sin City, Once Upon a Time in America, Live by Night, Kansas City, which I am going to seek out, uh, Boardwalk Empire, and Kill Bill Volume 1. <laughs> 
Yes. All right. Excellent. So we got a good list. I think um, that this is the most normal uh, puzzle piece thing that you and I have ever done. Like, I know, right? It's just like a kind of straightforward movie. It's yeah. a, you know, it's the kind of movie, you know, it's the kind of movie my dad would love. <laughs> you yeah. Know what I mean, my yeah. dad would not because he likes Bruce no. Willis too much. Oh yeah, poor. Who Bruce didn't show get, up? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Of all the things, Bruce Willis, like you know, sometimes he shows up, sometimes he doesn't. He didn't yeah. show up for this one. Not not particularly. He's got thirty seconds of screen time, and it's fine. Yeah. Speaking up- of, mm-hmm. oh, I was going to say, speaking of other other people in this that we didn't really touch on, uh, Willem Dafoe. Uh, it was so weird going into this the day after the lighthouse and <laughs> seeing him in such a different role, but still with a beard. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously he was like, I'll do the part, but I have this beard right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can my character be kind of homeless for no reason? <laughs> yeah. Um, And Leslie Mann, let's not forget Leslie Mann. Oh, God, I already forgot Leslie Mann was in this. Yeah. I, I wrote down a list of people in this movie, and I didn't even put her on the list. I, I mean, and then what's forgot. his fucking name? Oh, gosh, I always forget this actor's name. He was the, the, the hoodlum that they stop on the roof. Not the oh, big geez. guy, but the other, I forget his name. I don't know. Yeah. He's famous. Whatever. I, he's sure. in, he's in Super Mario Brothers, which is a masterpiece. <laughs> um, I want to rewatch that movie one of these days. The I haven't guy, seen it since I was a kid. The guy who wrote and directed that movie was in my, was in my noir, was in my uh, detective film. <laughs> there's a, there's a puzzle piece right there. There we go. Yeah. I would like to throw in a final puzzle piece of the uh, 2019 Blue Means Pregnant film Tellers, written and directed by Joe Black. No, oh, please don't man. associate my movie with this one. It won't help either film. <laughs> well, I think about that about does it for Motherless Brooklyn. Um, Joe, did you see anything else recently that you'd like to recommend? Um, that I would like to recommend. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, odd that I came so late to this train, only 20 some odd years later, but I just saw <laughs> The People versus Larry Flint. Oh, um, all right. I haven't seen that in a long time, but it, it's really good. Well, I think one of the most beautiful things, and eh, this kind of ties in because it's a political film, I think that um, right now we live in a culture, especially in entertainment, where it's very, you know, black and white, good guys versus bad guys, racist mm-hmm. versus non racist you know, mm-hmm. sexist versus non-sexist, you know, um, and what was so refreshing about um, The People versus Larry Flint was that it was a movie about a true piece of shit who, by being a piece of shit, created vital change yeah. in the country. And, like, he's not made a hero in any way and he's even not made cool in any way even in an anti-hero kind of way you're Mm -hmm. literally just watching this like grotesque which is fascinating (laughs) and fun and funny but you're never once ever in the movie think like man larry flynn is so cool you know what i mean you just think like what the fuck (laughs) you know yeah. And, uh, oh, and it's got Edward Norton in it too. Yet another. There connection. you go. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really, uh, I really. It's hard for me to watch movies at home, as I know is a problem for you. Um, sure. It's yeah. well, new movies. I mean, I can always pop on Jersey Girl for the fiftieth time, but um, <laughs> but this was. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, the People versus Larry Flint, and I think that we could learn a lesson from it as filmmakers and as audiences that, like, you know, it's not about liking somebody. You know what I yeah. mean? It, it, it that's that can't be the uh, criteria for whether or not something is valid. 
that is such an important lesson that needs to be retaught right now. Mm-hmm. Seriously. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Have you seen yeah. anything recently? Ooh, have I seen anything recently? Uh, well, I just got out of Pain and Glory, um, which I liked quite a bit. When are you doing the puzzle pieces on that? I don't know. We'll have to see if we could fit in an episode on that one. That would be... You should a do a special do. episode that is all... that All the puzzle pieces have to be films that feature cave dwelling. <laughs> or subterranean uh, dwelling. We can do yeah. Ninja Turtles and... Uh, Parasite? Yeah. I dig that, it. That'd be cool, right? I'd watch that. <laughs> or I'd listen to that episode. I'm in. What about that... Uh... Not really. I guess they the people did dwell there. The the cave of forgotten dreams. That uh, that documentary. Oh yeah, I never saw it because it's a documentary, and I refuse to watch those. Okay. Um, well, I just I don't like the idea of documentaries because it's somebody with a bias pretending that they don't have a bias, passing off their opinion as fact. Um, and mm-hmm. if they are passing off fact, they're passing it off through a biased lens that is skewing it in the direction for you to believe what they want you to believe. And I don't trust that. I prefer straightforward lies, like movies, regular you know fiction narratives. Um, but another subterranean movie we could do is fucking Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Okay. So see to me this 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 uh Pain and Glory one sounds uh sounds riveting and uh This sounds like it could be a really interesting episode. Let let's do a little research and <laughs> see if we can make it happen. So uh, Thanks for having me on. This is the shortest one we've ever done. I'm very proud of that. I I know, but you know what? Sometimes that's that's what's no, necessary, no, it's great. you know? It's great. Sometimes when you post these and I look and it's like 1 hour and 18, I'm like, "Oh shit, my bad." <laughs> I'm sorry, David. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, where can people find your stuff? Um, right now, still just on the Facebook, Blue Means Pregnant Films on Facebook. But actually, at the end of the year, we are, we're about to do a big push. Um, I am releasing all of my films on Blu-ray. Um, Hell yeah. And in, we are going to be doing a, uh, a pre-sale campaign for it, where uh, there's 12 films in total. You can get them uh, twenty bucks a piece, or you can get six for a hundred, or twelve for two hundred, and um, it's really just a fundraiser to get them made and get them out there to all the people who've worked on them for the last. I've made my I made my first film in December of two thousand and fifteen, mm-hmm. and um, you know I've worked with hundreds of just wonderful people, and we've done so many cool and fun and 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 adventurous things. We've failed many times. We've laughed. We've loved. We've killed each other. You know, and um, I'm really happy to be able to finally release these. And so we're going to be releasing those at the end of the year, as well as releasing a website um, where you can see all of the films. Just you can just stream them all right from the website. Now, I know what you're Beautiful. thinking. How contradictory you're releasing Blu-rays that you're going to charge people for or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the Blu-rays, <laughs> the Blu-rays have exclusive content. There so, you go. That's how you get them. Yeah. Including feature length <laughs> documentaries on a couple of them. And uh you know, so it's, it's going to be, um, it's, it's a big weight off my shoulders, you know? Hell yeah. That's actually funny. Uh, I, I'm actually for my, my music, um, I am currently planning a similar project for a lot oh. of my un- unreleased music right now. So would, hopefully would, next year. I would love to you hear know. your music. I would love if you could send me some links and I'd love to, you know, maybe work with you one day. It's funny. I was t- thinking about it when I was talking about the, um, Playing when I was talking about Edward Norton and learning in front of people as a filmmaker, the one film that we submitted to a film festival was Yellow Bellies, which Chad uh, accepted into his uh, Polygrind Film Festival. Nice, and, nice. And so, you know, as scary as it is to put your art out there, and as much as it is scary to learn in front of people, part of the learning process was putting it out there. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be on this podcast today. I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't, you know, because that I 
met you through Chad, who put me on here because of A Star is Born. You know what I mean? So like, sure. Just a just a nice little film fest are fun. Oh yeah, <laughs> the Polygrind <laughs> Film Festival. Oh, and that was a fun one for sure. <laughs> you ever went to well, those? Did you go to those? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I for the last the last three years he did it. I was there all the time. Oh, so yeah. wait, did you see my movie? I don't think so. I, I don't think I saw your movie there. It was 2013. 13. Um, yeah, I don't think I was there for that particular screen. You didn't miss much. <laughs> 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 I, I it was so funny i had a i it was my friend's birthday that night and i or the night before and i was i was living in la at the time and i was like i gotta get back to la to take her out to dinner for her birthday i promised her so like our screening was at three we did like a quick q a then we literally like ran out of the door and jumped in the car and hightailed it back to la so i could take her to dinner for her birthday <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully i'll be able to come out to vegas soon and screen one of my films that's, yeah, that would be awesome. Definitely uh, keep me posted on that. If you saw my films in Vegas, people, I've gotten much better uh, since then. So. <laughs> well, uh, hey, as always, thanks for being here, and we'll uh, hopefully get you back and get you to plug the uh, Blu-rays again one more time before the end of the year. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Hey, Las Vegas. There's no time like the present to give the gift of memories you'll treasure forever. Gina Mazzoni Photography is offering not one, not two, not three, but four holiday specials. Whether you're looking for something short and sweet like a mini shoot, savings on a regular full photography session, discounted prints to deck your walls, or gift certificates to give someone else or save for future use, we've got you covered. Check out our holiday specials at www.ginamazzoni.com. Again, that's www.ginamazzoni.com. All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Figured I'd squeeze that ad for Gina Mazzoni Photography in there one more time since uh, those specials are still up on our website for another week, I think, and then uh, goes back to regular price. So get your... Get your shoots booked now, Las Vegas, if you're looking for some holiday shoots. Uh, hope you enjoyed uh, us talking about Motherless Brooklyn. Um, definitely go check it out. Still in theaters. I have a feeling Terminator Dark Fate is going to have the dark fate of being saved for a VOD release scheduled episode. But you can still hear it in our Patreon. Is it in or on? I always forget. Anyway, on our Patreon, in our Patreon... Patreon.com slash PiecingPod is where I will be putting all episodes that are already recorded but not scheduled to be posted yet. And we're starting to record some new bonus content that will not be on the main podcast. So if you want to check it out, starting at $3 a month, uh, you get all that bonus content and early release content. And then there's, uh, you know, higher things where you get my albums and stuff like that. So, you know, go check it out. Um, I'm perfectly happy doing this thing as a free, regular old podcast, and I will continue to forever and never put a paywall. But uh, stuff that hasn't been scheduled in yet, that's a great place to put it, I think, right? I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, bonus content, which I don't want to, I don't want to clog up the main feed with a bunch of episodes that don't fit our theme. I mean, I I put a lot of thought into trying to plan this podcast to be a very specific thing, doing the whole puzzle pieces thing. So I want to keep it that. But I also like talking about movies in other ways. So we're going to record other episodes, and they will be on the Patreon as well. So lots of great stuff coming over there. But 
You don't have to subscribe. You do not have to pay a penny. Just keep listening to Piecing It Together on whatever your regular podcast app of choice is. We love that you're all out there listening. Thank you so much for the support. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe on any major podcast app. And if you want to get in touch, you can connect with us on social media, at PiecingPod on all of the social media sites, and of course, our Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group. So, uh, I think that does it for today. And as always, I'm going to leave you guys with a piece of music, and I got a special one for you today. Uh, This is a piece of music from the score of a short film that I scored earlier this year. It's It's actually part of a web series. It's an episode of a web series. It's directed by our good friend Jason Harris from Awesome Movie Year. Uh, This is Rick Thunder. It's part of a uh, a web series called Copper Creek that is not out yet because they're still doing a uh, film festival run with Rick Thunder. Um, but so far, it's done awesome. It's been in a bunch of festivals, doing all kinds of great stuff out there. But uh, it gave me a chance to do some film noir music. And so I figured what better way to close out this episode than playing the music from Rick Thunder because it is film noir and it fits perfectly for something like Motherless Brooklyn. So enjoy this music from Rick Thunder. And uh, as soon as that Rick Thunder short is up on the internet somewhere, I will uh, make sure to share it. And that way you guys could check out the, the whole thing. It's a fun little film. So, uh, Listen to this, and we'll be back with more Piecing It Together next week.
and All Points West. 